Welcome to Engineering Fields of Dreams podcast. We're here to share stories and professional experiences of engineers across disciplines and let you explore the amazing world of engineering. Each episode, you'll hear inspiring stories and advice from engineers, allowing you to learn from their successes and experiences. Whether you're an engineering student, a veteran engineer, or just curious about engineering, we invite you to join us and explore the amazing and ever-changing world of engineering. Welcome to this episode, Spelunking Adventures in Data, with our guest, Amanda. Thank you for being here today, Amanda. Would you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Amanda Borens. I am the Chief Data Officer at a health data science company based out of the UK, actually. We've started a US subsidiary that I'm really proud to be leading the charge on. We work broadly with hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, and with global health nonprofits. The place that I am in my career now that has been really varied in that I have a background in electronic health records development back from my days at SunQuest, which was headquartered in Tucson, Arizona. Back in the day, I started there and worked my way through software development, then went back to graduate school. And I've had all kinds of jobs, Matt, but the common thread has always been data and data science. When that field came about, it just, it was just natural to me. I think I felt like I was already doing what people were calling data science. I feel very lucky that I'm able to enjoy the kinds of opportunities that having this level of leadership provides for me. I honestly can say that every part of this weird and unexpected and non-linear journey has really prepared me for the place that I am today. I'm very excited to talk today. Data science is one of my passions and I have a similar non-traditional route to it. So I'm sure we'll have a great conversation. Why did you choose this career? That's a funny question. I feel like this career chose me. I definitely didn't choose it. If you had asked me a young little girl in Texas thinking about what I was going to be when I grew up. And then even in in undergraduate times, what was I going to be when I grew up? It started as early days as an artist. And then, and then as I got closer to in high school and so forth, science always interested me. Math always interested me. So I thought I would be a surgeon. I was going to be a physician. And I took a lot of pre-med courses as an undergraduate. And then I found this really strange situation in my second half of undergrad, I think it was, when I had a semester where I had biochemistry at the same time as zoology. And I got to tell you, it was just so much more fun, zoology, right? So I would go out in the field with these classes that I wasn't in, and I started to have this sort of self-reflection where I thought about the fact that oh, maybe I'm not interested in medicine. Maybe I'm interested in zoology and wildlife biology. So even in those days, I am just not one of those people. I'm very goal-oriented, but as a goal-oriented person, you would think that I had a sort of a destination in mind. But even then, I I just followed what was interesting to me. So then um, I finished my degree in general biology thinking I would take a year off. I finished college really young. I was only 20. I started college when I was, should have been a junior in high school. And I finished in four years, which is not even possible these days. 
But so all of that led me to this point where I felt like I had hurried and I had crammed in a lot and I just wanted a break for life. I took a year off that year between undergrad and graduate school turned into, I think, nine or 10 years, actually, because I found myself in a hospital working in a pathology lab, which is one of the only things you can do with a BS in biology, to be honest with you. You're you're at the mercy of the world of careers with no job experience. And I was really good with the health information system that we were using in the lab. And, And then I had a friend who had been recruited by this information systems company And he said, hey, we have an opening. You should come and interview for this job. So I did. I was, I think I was, gosh, 22, maybe 20, maybe 23 at the most at this point. And uh, next thing you know, I was flying all over the country to install information systems in hospitals all over the world. Every time I tried to quit, Matt, with my whole intention of becoming a wildlife biologist, every time I tried to quit, I got a promotion and a raise and those were the solid days of tech. So that was actually a really life-changing kind of a thing. And because I was really driven and because I was taking advantage of every learning opportunity I could, I didn't have a background in computer science, but I became a software developer and I started working in database development and SQL development, took advantage of every opportunity that any department had for training. I went over to help the systems guide build um, systems guys. I became friends and I just shadowed them when they would build new servers. And eventually I learned how to build Windows servers back when they were Windows NT. Anybody's mm-hmm. enough to remember that. But I uh, I did eventually go back to graduate school and and I got my master's in wildlife biology and I thought that I would get a PhD. But again, it wasn't what I thought. I, I realized if I was going to get a PhD and become a professor, I wouldn't be mentoring and teaching so much as I would be writing grant proposals and not doing the thing that I thought teaching at a university might be. And I had a family by then. And so I decided to stop there and I went to work for the Arizona Game and Fish Department as a wildlife biologist, but common thread again, my thesis was based on geospatial analysis. And I used all of that software development skill that I had picked up. I was one of those people in those days when big data didn't have capital letters yet. Yes. And I was one of those people who just, I had all of this incredible engineering experience from my time working in electronic health records. My thesis was based on tessellating the state of Arizona into, I still remember 5.1 million cells in a raster format and associating species richness, basically species list for every 30 meter square of the state of Arizona. And so my thesis was based on analyzing that I got to Arizona Game and Fish, and I realized that the practice of wildlife biology and conservation is this really ugly and soul-crushing interface between politics and science. And I just didn't want to be there, to be honest with you. I had a hard time when people would ask me to give a scientific opinion, but what they really wanted was for me to give the politically, whatever that particular political culture was at the time, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on the governor and so forth politically, whatever the answer was. And I really struggled with that. And so I was asked, actually, I was asked one time to make a map that was absolutely not scientifically accurate in order to please a political whim. And that was the point where I knew that just wasn't going to work for me. So I left and I came back to Pima County. I worked for the Regional Flood Control District, loved it there. Actually, we worked on the Sonoran Desert Conservation Plan again geospatial analysis and raster analysis and geodatabases and ESRI ArcGIS tools. 
And I was able to do all kinds of things that other people couldn't do with that kind of background because of my software development experience. But I was recruited to work for a medical device company. So here I am with a master's degree in wildlife biology, and I'm back in the world of healthcare. And I worked as a data scientist on a medical device assay development team. I helped with the clinical trials, the data statistical analysis, experimental analysis. I I love this story because it's a great party story. I developed a gene probe that could detect a particular biothreat agent, but I'm not allowed to talk about it because it was for a project that was very secret about detecting biothreat agents. So we had this competition in the company where a, a team of bench wet lab biologists, molecular biologists were trying to develop a gene probe. And I used computational methods and I just used MySQL and Python and just a whole lot of persistence. And my probe ended up being the best one I won. And I'll never be able to publish or <laughs> get yeah. any glaze for that. But it was not, that's the kind of thing at work that, that it really energizes you and keeps you going. So in any case, this is a long and winding road, but it led me from there to global health, where I worked in a nonprofit for six years, built a data science team from scratch, worked for the World Health Organization and lots of really notable projects. And then that experience opened a lot of doors for me. And I'm now working in this international company as the chief data officer. So I think you can see now that I've told you the long story that I didn't think as a kid, I'm going to be a chief data officer for a Glaswegian company from the UK that, but this is where I am. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. And I think you highlighted in the story you told the importance of being curious and investigating questions you have about data. One of the things I think that concerns me sometimes with younger data scientists is they know the tools. They're really good at the tools, but they're not so good at sometimes thinking about the questions. And, and also questioning the results they get from the tools. I think sometimes they're like, oh, look, my, my model, it came out great. And it's, yeah, your R values are really nice, but that doesn't reflect reality <laughs> at all. So yeah, I think there's those of us who came up before data science was the term and big data was the term. And we bring a set of skills to looking at questions that sometimes the newer people to the field just don't have that experience yet. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that in data science, there's a reason that those high salaries can be commanded by people who have all of the skills. And I think that the reason is that it actually requires experience. That experience doesn't come from graduate school or undergraduate school. It comes from having somebody hand you a problem with no obvious solution and just picking away at it all on your own and figuring it out and not giving up and being persistent. And even when you fail, you learn from that stuff, right? So many years, I'm old enough to say decades of experience hiring and building teams and mentoring people have taught me that there's no substitute for that kind of curiosity. Like you said, there's no substitute for that kind of willingness to just dig in and get your hands dirty and do those kinds of jobs that are not your job. And I've found that when I've hired people with very prestigious degrees, they aren't always willing to dig in and get their hands dirty. And they don't always tend to be the people who are really pulling their weight. 
So if I were to say something to somebody in this younger generation, like my son, it would be that it would be that it's not about prestige. It's not about image. It's not about that whole kind of social media driven influencer mentality. It's about literally just getting in the trenches and getting the experience and being willing to fail and being willing to wait, work late nights at the beginning of your career to make it happen and figure it out. And, but I would say that probably the biggest differentiator now that I can look back on my career and kind of compare it to young people today, the thing that I think will differentiate people who will go on to be successful in data science from people who will probably flop out and change direction is it's not this, I have this PhD and I have it from this prestigious school and I have all of this work. It's the people who have experience with just some pile of mess being dropped on their desk and being the person who's willing to just go, okay, I have no idea where to start. I'm just going to dive in and start throwing everything I have at it. Maybe I will start teaching myself a new language because that's what it's going to take to figure this out. Or I'm going to find somebody that I can collaborate with who has this other language and kind of help me pick apart this piece of it. It's that, to me, that persistence and that willingness to get yourself dirty is absolutely the differentiator. For sure. And I feel traditionally in this podcast, I go through the four questions, but I feel like we've covered them all without explicitly talking about them. You brought up a challenging professional situation. You offered advice to someone starting their career. Um, is there anything that you wish you knew before graduation? Yeah, I think I wish that I knew that after graduation wasn't the end, <laughs> which is a funny thing to say, but I was so driven, Matt, as a young person. I was the best grades every year. I was just like absolutely driven to be the top student in my class and the, and taking all the hardest classes and a year ahead in this and a year ahead in that. And then I skipped two years of high school and went to college and I was going to be the best at everything. And then it was going to, it's going to be the end when I got this degree and I was going to be suddenly at the end where yeah. success is. And that was just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Exactly. It's just the beginning. And the experience that I had throughout college and graduate school, none of those things reflected a microcosm of what my work life was in, in many ways. It's just the beginning. That's part of it. But also know that you are going to have an experience in your work life where you need to learn to get along with everyone and appreciate the contribution of everyone. They didn't all take AP computer science with you. Some of them are the receptionist and those people are pivotal to your success as well. I wish I knew before graduation that it wasn't the end and that journey of getting to know all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life is actually part of the whole, that's part of the whole thrill of it, right? It's not, if you were to ask me today, am I there? I would say no we're doing it, right? This is it. <laughs> it's happening. So just know that you're never at the end. And even if you get to the end of a degree or a job and you find out that's actually not where you want it to be, there's always the option to go left, you know, and start all over again. 
And I say, take risks. I say, be willing to make some mistakes and take some calculated risks and find those opportunities to grow and learn and meet new and interesting people. And I'm sorry for going on, but I do have one other thing that I always try to tell young people, which is that I don't really believe that this new cultural thing, and it's something that I harp on with my son and his friends. I don't think that this generational idea that your work is your passion and your work is your life is really healthy, to be honest with you. And there are a couple of reasons that I say that. One is that I am absolutely passionate about conservation. And from following my Facebook page, Matt, that I love, I, even though I have a totally unrelated career, I have camera traps all over my property looking Mm -hmm. at wildlife that passed through. It really, it broke my heart to have something that I cared so deeply about be tied to my success at work because you won't always be successful at work and things, Mm -hmm. projects won't always go the way that you want them. I think for that reason, don't find your passion and have it tied to your career. We work to live. We don't live to work. 100%. And and you and it's funny to hear somebody who's in a small, medium anyway company who's an executive saying that. But work life balance is so much more important than this idea that you every bit of your happiness is tied to your success at work. I think the real key is to figure out how to be very uniquely valuable and useful to your team and your coworkers how to make it a great cultural environment and a place that people can grow and be happy because you spend a lot of time together, but also invest in the rest of your life. Your education and your career are one aspect of a big and happy life. And if you have a good and happy life outside of work and you invest in relationships, it's going to be reflected in your performance at work as well. Yes. I always tell my students that life is too short to be unhappy. And that you should really try to find things that make you happy, both in your professional and personal life. Yeah, I agree with that completely. This has been a great conversation. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's always great to talk to you, Matt. You take care. We'd like to thank today's guests for sharing their professional experience and career advice. We appreciate their insight and taking the time to share them with our audience the listener thank you for joining us on this journey and exploring the ever-evolving world of engineering we hope we've inspired you to pursue your dreams and ambitions let us know if there are topics or fields you'd like to hear more about until next time we wish you the best of luck on your engineering journey